old broke gym owner or something like that. And obviously Joe has worked very hard to get where he is today. So he's going to share with us the skills that he's accumulated over a lifetime to ensure he never goes broke again. And Joe, Joe is, I don't know what your title is over there, but you're the, I guess the CEO of Gainesville Health and Fitness, correct? Yes. Yeah. So do you have any other businesses beyond that's a major, anybody who went to the university of Florida or has been through the Gainesville area, Joe's an icon, Gainesville icon. Um, but uh, is there any other businesses you have your hands in or? Is no, that- I, I also have two rehab centers that are tied into the two of the clubs. And I, uh, going back about four years, I opened up uh, a boutique studio, all built on strength training in Tampa and one in Palm Harbor, Florida. So uh, we're working on that. We're just trying to figure out how to get more equipment out of Sweden and um, we'll start uh, expanding again. So that, that's where the gym equipment comes from, Sweden? No, this, this particular equipment, which I do have in my, in my big center, it's uh, called X-Force and it was, it was developed in Sweden and it's the most sophisticated strength training equipment you'll ever find. And uh, so we did a bunch of research on it back in 2012 and wrote a book, wrote two books on it that are bestsellers. And um, one day I was just looking, I said, I wonder if I could take this to another city and just as a boutique where this is the only thing we do, if I could make it work. And it just, it worked out perfectly where there was an individual down there who was exceptional and she was available. And I told her, I said, okay, you're going to be working with me now and we're going to do this. And she started working on developing it. So she's running the centers down in that area right now. Is that, that's, where is that Tampa you said? Tampa and Palm Harbor, which is uh, over by Clearwater, north, north of Clearwater. Okay. Yep. So, so you, you said you wrote, did you write these books or you, you read no, these? Yeah, we we, we've written about 19 books out of our center and they're by an author by the name of Ellington Darden, who's written 50 books. And he used to be the, um, he was the in charge of all the research for Nautilus Sports Medical Industries. And we formed a relationship back in the 80s and uh, did a big research project and built around building strength, losing body fat, using Nautilus equipment. And uh, that was the first book came out in 1987. So over the years, we've done just all kinds of research on strength training, on meal planning. And uh, so that's how how all the books were developed so he was the he was the author his name is ellington darden he's he's pretty he's pretty famous in the strength training world darden d-a-r-d-e-n yes yep okay yeah do you help him write any of these no we just we do all the training for him he keeps all the data they're all my members so i mean all the research is just great for the members because they get phenomenal results going through the program so i mean obviously i provide the facilities i have the equipment i have the trainers so we do we do all the work he keeps all the data right so you say rehabs you don't mean like addiction centers or anything you mean like physical rehab right orthopedic orthopedic rehabilitation yeah yep okay joe how how did all of this start well (laughs) Uh, t- take us back. Let's hop in the DeLorean and go back in time when you're getting getting started with everything here. Uh, well, first of all, I 
I never planned to get into this business. I was, I was um, 19 years old. I was hey, taking a year off from college. A buddy of mine and I were going to travel around the country. But right when I got time to do it, he decided he didn't want to leave the job he had. I didn't want to go traveling around the country all by myself. But there was a girl that I went out with up in my hometown in upstate New York, an old town called Elmira. She came down to Gainesville uh, to go to school because her brother lived here. So the plan was always to come to Gainesville for 30 days and then go back home, go back to work, you know, save money and go back to school again. But my first day here, I, I, needed, I needed to work out. And uh, it just so happened that her brother, Frank, was a member of the Steve Spurrier Health Spa. And so I asked him, I said, uh, Frank, you think I could go with you? He goes, sure. So I went there and I worked out. And when I was done, I went to the manager and I told him, look, I'm, I'm only in town for 30 days. I don't have enough money to pay you to work out, but I'd be willing to work out for work for free if you'll let me work out for free. I mean, I started lifting weights when I was nine years old. So, I mean, I had trained a lot of people all through high school and everything and and um, so he said, fine. So I worked all day Wednesdays and all day, all day on Saturday. But I could train whenever I wanted. At the end of 30 days, I decided I'd stay for 30 more days and go home at Christmas. And uh, but this time I went to the manager and I told him, look, at, um, I want to come to work more, but I would like if you paid me. And um, so he agreed. I remember I got paid a buck 90 an hour which was very exciting because everybody else was making like a buck 65 an hour. So I thought I showed them I had done a good job. So I continued to keep working as an instructor and uh, went home at Christmas time. I was going to go back to work with a friend of mine who was a Mason, but he said, Joe, it's just too frozen up here to do anything. The ground's too frozen. He said, why don't you go back down to that Gainesville place and, uh, and then come back at the end of March. So I came back down. I mean, there's lots of stories that occurred. And, and what happened was, obviously I didn't come back at the end of 90 days, but during that period of time, over the next few years, I ended up working for uh, six companies that went bankrupt, all in the health club business. And, um, but I kept hanging on because I really, I realized, I realized, I really loved it. And I knew it was a good business, except the people, who were running the businesses, they cared so much about making money, they forgot how to take care of people. And I knew that the answer was you take care of people. And if you do that right, you'll make the sales and you'll make the money. So there's lots of things I learned, but by the time I was 24 and a half and the sixth one went bankrupt, I decided, I think I don't know everything to do, but I sure in hell learned a lot of things you never do. And um, so I started the business when I was uh, 24 and I've been working on it ever since. How, so, how are you living back then making $1.90 an hour? What was that like? Well, um, I, the, the girl that I'd come to see, she had an apartment. So in the beginning that, you know, that was, that was fine. Um, but if you take over the next few years, I'm, I lived in my car. I lived in closed down buildings. I lived in health clubs I worked in because I didn't have another place to live. So I, I figured out how to do it no matter, I, I didn't want to get out of the business. And um, even when they went bankrupt, I just said, you know, I'll just keep working through this and until the next opportunity comes. But, but where I was really, really fortunate 
was when I was uh, 20 years old, I opened up a drawer and there was a book in it and it was called The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. And I remember I looked and I said, you know, I've heard of these books before. I've never, I've never read one, but anyway, I started reading it. And it started talking about all these phenomenal things people did because of how they set goals for themselves. And, um, you know, the funny thing is I come from a very middle-class family and there were seven, four sisters and two brothers. There were seven of us. My father was military. My mother was a nurse. Um, so I thought I always, my, my thinking in the future was always what I knew. And, you know, when I looked, it was what I already was used to until I started reading that book. And I realized, wow, people have really accomplished some great things because they set goals for themselves. So I set a goal because I had just gotten into sales and that's another story, but I just had gotten into sales in the health club and it was a fairly large company. And so after I read the book, I set a goal to be the top salesperson in the entire company. And three months later, I was the top salesperson in the whole company. I was like, how the hell did that happen? You know, I set a goal and, and I did it. And um, that's why at the end of the three months, I thought, no, I really like this. And I think probably the biggest eye opener for me was I never really saw people growing up. Everybody worked hard. I mean, my father worked hard. Everybody in our neighborhood worked hard, but it's not like after my father retired from the military, like everybody had a great passion for what they did. They worked hard because they had a family and they had to pay the bills and that's how they were built to do that. And, you know, all of a sudden I start making money doing sales in the health club. And I thought, well, this is really odd. I, I, I really love doing this and I'm making money at the same time. I mean, that was like an anomaly to me that you could do love something and make money, you know, doing it. And um, so that just kept me going. And, and even during all those clubs I worked for that went bankrupt, I kept finding the next book and the next book and the next book. I spent five years really filling my brain with some of the greatest speakers, um, the greatest books, all on how you get your this set right so that no matter what happens, you accept it and you keep going. And uh, that was probably the thing for me that's never left me. And when I tell you, I read and I listened. I mean, I bought tape series back then from a company called Nightingale Conant. And I mean, I would listen to those series over and over and over. I mean, there's one called The Psychology of Winning. I remember by a guy named the Den by a guy by the name of Dennis Waitley, who was a psychologist. And he talked about how these things worked, meaning how when I was so inspired by the books, he started talking about this is how it works. This is how this is what happens to you. And I mean, I listened to that tape series and I'm not exaggerating, 40 times. And there were 12 tapes. And I bought about 40 copies of it to give to friends because it was just so powerful to me. But I also, when I was 21, I came across a book uh, called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And that was after I got done living in my car and now I got another job. And for the first time I was running a house club when I was when I was 21 and um, I thought, well, maybe I better go find another book. So I go to the bookstore and I look on the shelves and I see this book says, Think and Grow Rich. 
I thought, well, that's an interesting title. So I took it and I looked at the back. I remember said, this book has been responsible for more people becoming millionaires than any book ever written. And it was written like in 1937. And I thought, well, that's pretty, that's pretty powerful state, pretty powerful statement. So I, I started reading it and you'd be reading and reading. And it would say, in order to be successful, you have to know the secret. And you'd keep reading and say, in order to be successful, you have to know the secret. I remember I got to a certain point and I just said, just tell me the damn secret. You know, I, I'm reading through the thing. And, and um, like I said, not that I ever thought of becoming a millionaire. It, trust me, when you get done living in your car and get down to 12 cents, you know, you thought it isn't becoming a millionaire. But I always had a, um, I always had gratitude for everything I was going through, even when it was miserable. I never complained. I never said, woe is me. I actually had gratitude for everything. And uh, so when I got done reading the book, I finally realized what the secret was. And it was pretty simple. You just had to know what you wanted out of your life. So that's when I took a legal pad and I wrote down 10 things. And the very first thing on my list was I will own my own health club in Gainesville, Florida, so no one is ever going to tell me where I have to live. Because I had to live in Cocoa Beach, I had to, or Merritt Island, I had to live in St. Petersburg, and um, I just wanted to be in Gainesville. You know, then, then, you know, I started writing a whole series of things. Like, the second thing is I'll make the health club respected in the Gainesville community because health clubs had a terrible reputation when I began. They all shut down, just terrible reputations. Then I started writing fun things down, like, you know, I'll own a home in the mountains, I'll own a home in the ocean, I'll build my parents a home. I put down, you know, by time I'm, I'll make $100,000 by time I'm 25 years old. Then other things. I'll become a pilot on my own airplane. I'll become a black belt. I'll travel around America. I'll travel around the world. I'll um, make, I, I remember the last thing on my, on my list was I'll save a million dollars. And the only reason I put that down, because when I was growing up, everybody used to always say, I wish I had a million dollars. So I said, well, let's just put it on the list. So I put it on the list. <laughs> and uh, the thing, the other thing I did though, is I, I read my list every single night and every single morning without for years. And what I realized, it's not like I thought about those things during the day, but it made me work really hard. And it made me stay focused all the time. And, you know, eventually when the Six Club went bankrupt, that's when I looked, I said, maybe it's my time to start. So, and that's, that's another long story of how I got the business, and got it started because I, 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 I started my whole health club with $1,700, but nobody knew I had $1,700. So I hired everybody to build the place. And um, I hired electricians, carpenters, plumbers, air conditioning people. I said, I had no money to pay any of them. The only guy I didn't hire was unlike a guy who had an electrical company and he asked me how I was going to pay for it. So I didn't hire him. And, um, but I, um, I, I also knew back then that you could advertise and not have to pay for it for 30 days. So I advertised like crazy. So somehow every week I had enough money to keep paying those guys to keep going on for, you know, for another week. So I got the, I got the health club going, but probably the, the biggest aha moment was, um, you know, I had that, that by time I'm 25, I'll make a hundred thousand dollars. 
Well, when I was 21, I made about $11,000. When I was 22, I made about $12,000. When I was 23, I made about $12,500. Still reading my list though. And I remember one day I went to my list and I put a line through 100,000, I put 60,000. I didn't quite know how I was gonna do that one either, but it didn't seem as far away as 100,000. But I was still reading books and I read a massive book by the same author that wrote Think and Grow Rich called The Laws of Success. And when I read it, it says I topped out, it says you're just supposed to believe. So I put a line through 60,000 and put 100,000 back having no clue. Well, once again, when I was 24 and a half and I started my company, everything I did was to build it, to make it the best I could make it. But the day that I turned 26 years old, I had exactly $100,000 in my savings account. And it wasn't 99,000 and it wasn't 101,000. It was the exact number I wrote down. And when I saw that, I said, oh, it's all true. I can do anything I set my mind to. And it, within uh, 10 years, I did every single thing on that, on that list. I mean, I put a travel around America, I travel around the world. And the only thing I didn't know is that people would pay me to travel around the world. But that's always a great experience because I have great friendships all over the world. And so everything has really turned out, turned out great. But probably the, the probably most rewarding thing, I mean, I, I have staff who've been with me 20, 30, and over 40 years. You know, we've been working together. And we're like, a, I mean, obviously we're like a family now, but um, I'm fortunate all the way around. I have great members. I have members who are with me that I enrolled them in January of 1974. You know, when I first got into sale, they're still members, you know, of the, of the club. So everything about it has been very rewarding. There's nothing else that I want to do. And as I was telling people at this meeting, I said, I get offers to buy my business. I said, but I say, you know, so you can give me as much money as you want, but I can only sit in Starbucks for so long and I'll be wanting to do what I already been doing. So anyway, that's kind of the, abbreviated version of the beginning. Yeah, what one, one uh, speaking of selling the business, yeah, somebody comes in over the top. I, I always get worried if, they, if, if you sell the business, that, yeah, then what, right? Like, then what's your purpose? That's, that's what, like, I had a good friend, uh, a pretty good friend, he sold his business for a lot of money uh, seven, eight figures. And then within a couple of years, he, he, uh, he, he, you know. No, I know. Yeah, of course. Killed himself. No, that's right. right. Yeah. And because he just kind of went a little, he went crazy. Yeah. Because that was his whole life for 50, whatever it was. He was 75, 50 years or so. That no, was I... his whole life. And like, yeah, it was great that he made the 30, but all of us were there. Him still be a lot, like alive than, than have the, 30 million that he sold it for but you you know he's ultimately worth, worth about a hundred yeah all, all he made over the years but um yeah that that's something that kind of haunts me a little bit not gonna lie but uh so i don't think i'll ever retire is that kind of where you're thinking or or is it no i i mean i know um before you can do anything like that you better know what the next purpose there your next purpose yeah uh, because like I said, you can only hang out in Starbucks for so long. Yeah. You, know, you can only buy so many homes. You know, you can only find so many different ways 
to move from point A to point B. You can only buy so many vehicles. You know, I think that the trick, or the, I don't know if it's a trick, but the most important thing is that you work hard to have enough money so you don't have to worry about money. That to me was probably the biggest thing, not to have to worry about money, um, but not have it being a driving force uh, for me in developing my business. You know, when I was uh, 21, I read a quote by Zig Ziglar and it said, if you help enough people get what they want out of life, you'll get everything you want out of life. And I read that and I said, that's what the essence of business is. And so everybody I, I teach and my staff said so the most important thing is you don't worry about yourself. You find out how you can help other people. And if you figure that one out, you'll see they'll figure you out and you won't have to worry about anything. You just find ways to help other people. And that's how I, how I built the whole business, uh, hopefully with my, with my members and my staff. So. Do you, do you have kids or do you, are you married? Or? No, no, I was married when I was younger, but I never got remarried. We didn't have any children, but I have hundreds of them that I, that I work with every day. So not children, children, but yeah. Still- they're still they're a, lot of, a lot of college, so they're still figuring out their life. And uh, so, I mean, I spend a lot of time with them. Yeah. Dur- during this whole adventure, Joe, was there a time where you were miserable? You wanted to give up? No, I wouldn't say. I mean, I went through like periods like for three hours and then got over it. Um, uh, no, I think probably in the beginning, the biggest challenge was, I've always told people, it was just being lonely. You know, when you're, like I said, when you're living in a car or a closed down building, it's not like you had a lot of contacts, you know, uh, during that period of time. So I, I think that, uh, I, 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 it's funny, because this is the honest to God's truth. There would be times I would go into McDonald's only because it reminded me of home. That's, that's how lonely you can get at times, but I never let those things affect me. You know, there was one time when I was, uh, I got transferred um, to uh, the Mer- Merritt Island area, you know, around the, not too far south of you. Um, and I got transferred and I moved into a hotel on, on Cocoa Beach. And there's a causeway between Cocoa Beach, it's a 520 causeway into Merritt Island. And I used to drive back and forth. And my whole life consists of, I'd work all day, I'd work out at night, I'd go back to the uh, hotel, go to sleep, get in the morning, drive to work, work all day, work out at night, drive back to the holiday. I hate it. I got transferred down there. I hate it. I just hated it. It wasn't, it's a beautiful area, but it wasn't me. And um, one day I was driving to work and I decided I was going to quit. I was 20 years old. And I decided I was going to quit. Then I asked myself the question, what am I going to do after I quit? I mean, am I going to go home and live with my parents up back up in New York? I mean, I have great parents, but I wasn't ready to move back home. And so I thought, well, well, that book, um, The Power of Positive Thinking, is real helpful. Maybe I can go find another one. And I, I went to the bookstore. I say this book called The Amazing Results of Positive Thinking. And I thought that it was a book it was a book written about people like, like me who read the book and actually, you know, accomplished something. And um, I read it and that's not what it was. It was about 
I'd be reading through it. And I'd be reading about these people who went through the most miserable times and how they worked their way through it and became successful. And I'd be reading that book and I'd go, you know, I don't have a problem. That guy, he had a problem. I went through enough of those. I said, I just have an attitude problem. I got to change my thinking. And I did. And I did. The health club was located in the mall. And I realized one of the things that was happening with me was, uh, you know, it's uh, Cocoa Beach is like, you know, uh, surfers and stuff. It's just kind of way more laid back than I was ever used to. But I realized I was like slowing down. So I remember I told the manager, I wasn't the manager, told the manager, I'll be right back. I got up and I walked through the mall as fast as I could walk through the mall just to get my brain back into gear. And I did. And, um, and I got everything back. I mean, there were a whole bunch of challenges after that, but I got my brain back, you know, while I was, uh, was down there. So, so yeah, what is your, what do you think your biggest adversity is outside of those, obviously getting into the industry, but you know, breaking ground pretty much with Gainesville Health and Fitness, starting that. I think that was your, was that your first business? Was that? Yeah. Yeah. What have you, have you had any like big adversities over the years, like that you had to overcome or is it just all been like, or, or do you see them as <laughs> not adversities? As no, low as, no, um, no, I, 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 I look at it not adversity because that's like a wall in front of you. I just looked at them as the challenges I had to go through. I mean, there was a, um, I started out in a very small shopping center and I got it as big as I could get it, which was like 11,000 square feet. And this was over the years, taking over store after store that went out. I'd take it over and expand my club. And um, I was in the middle of doing a big, a pretty big expansion to that facility, but I couldn't do it on the ground floor. So I actually found there was, there was, uh, I don't know how many, 5,000 square feet space that was available upstairs over to my, it would have been to my east. And, um, oh, I put all the plans together. I had torn everything apart. I was going to build this huge stairwell going up through the build, top of the building. I had ordered a $40,000 at that point, glass walkway to connect the two. I mean, I had all this uh, planned out when the city said, hey, you can't do this. You've got uh, your three parking spaces short to be able to do this. And there was no other place to get three parking spaces. So they brought everything to a halt. Now, some will say, oh my God, what a problem that would have been. But actually, you know, a lot of times things happen in your life, think they think they're bad, but they end up being the thing that kind of saved you. So during that period of time, there was a new company from Wisconsin. It was called New Horizons. They were moving to Florida. They opened up a health club in Clearwater. And one day they sent the guy up well, they sent this guy, I said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. He was representing New Horizons. And when he, 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 here's the conversation. I just want you to know, New Horizons is coming to Gainesville and we are going to put you out of business. And I remember I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him just like I'm talking to you now. And the only thing that's going through my mind is, you have no idea what I've gone through that you think I will roll over for you. So the first thing I did was I went down to Clearwater to look at the facility and it was nice and it was going to be nicer than mine. And, um, but also, like I said, there's this thing called serendipity across the street from my club. There was a Winn-Dixie grocery store. And, um, every time I drive by, I go, man, what a perfect place for help. 
I mean, I must have said that every time I drove past it. And then one Saturday night, I was at dinner, and uh, one of the guys said, hey, I see the Winn-Dixie went out of business. I said, which Winn-Dixie? They go, the one right across the street from you, they shut down today. I mean, first thing that went through my mind was, oh my God, all the stuff I've read is true. I thought of my, I actually thought these guys out of business. So anyway, so now I get a, um, now I got to find out who owns the building. So I found out there are two old men, Fred, Fred Cohn and Ben Franklin, not the original, but close. And uh, so I called him up on Monday morning and he said, uh, um, I said, do you think I can come over and talk to you? Without going into the whole story, I ended up going to see that man for the next six months. He would never okay it. Really? He was 78 years old. He's, he worked in many banks that had been burnt by health clubs because they all went bankrupt. And uh, all he knew about health clubs was they went bankrupt, but it didn't matter. I went back and saw him the next day. And when he wasn't there, he had a secretary. Her name was B. And B had worked for him for 32 years. She, if you ever saw the movie Poltergeist, she looked like the little grandmother in Poltergeist. But when he wasn't there, I'd sit down and I'd talk to B. And we, we just became friends. She would tell me what was on his mind. The, I'd get all the information. Next day, I'd be in there talking to him. But he had no idea how I knew what the hell he was even thinking. But um, this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And then I heard that a grocery store was going to go in there. So you asked, you know, you asked, did I ever get down or whatever? Yeah, that's when I got depressed for about three hours. And, um, and I thought about it. I said, you never get anywhere being depressed. So I sat up all night long and I put a list of all the reasons why he did want us and he didn't want them. And the next morning I went and said, Mr. Cohn, you think I could go over something with you? He says, sure. I said, I want to tell you why you don't, why you want us, why you don't want them. I sat there and read that list for the next hour. And um, he looks at me at the end. He goes, sounds good. Thank you. And I got up and left. But I came back the next day, next day, and next day. And the good thing was that grocery store really was hesitant. They, I even said to him, I said, Mr. Cohn, I said, you know what you're doing to me? That grocery store is doing to you. And, um, you know, not giving them an answer, not accepting it. But I kept going back and going back. I learned so much stuff. After about five months, I, I, I resorted to bribery. And, um, and, you know, I knew he had bad legs. I, you know, he had, he had bad legs. I went down to Nautilus and I got one of their brand new recumbent bicycles and I had it delivered to his, to his office. Yes. I, found, I found out what kind of whiskey he drank. I had it delivered to his office. I, I, he, he chewed tobacco. I went to Micanopy, his little antique town, and I bought a spittoon. It took me six hours to shine up. I had it delivered to his office. People started calling me up when they heard what I was doing and telling me what he liked. So I knew what the next thing was. But this was something else. I, I went to, like I said, I was in his office like five days a week. And he had a calendar on the wall and, you know, I saw it the next month and the next month and the next month. And, and they, all the calendars were like a pretty girl in a bikini, right? Or a swimsuit. And so I knew he liked pretty girls. I'd find the most beautiful girls and say, would you do me a favor? What? I said, would you mind delivering this over to this? So every day I had a new beautiful girl delivering gifts you know, to him. One girl who she ended up being in the movies. I said, Kelly, 
um, what did he say when you walked in? Because I knew she was just beautiful. And he goes, well, she was on the phone. He was on the phone. He goes, hold on, hold on. An angel just walked into my office. Well, after a while, all his friends knew what I was doing. Everybody knew what I was doing. And um, his friends started telling him, just give him the goddamn place. Just give him the place. And so I went in one day. Remember, this is now five months after I started. And he's on the phone and he's talking to a pharmacy who's interested in the space. And um, he, I'm standing in front of him. And I remember he looks at me, he goes, he's looking at me and he goes, yeah, yeah, no, I know, I, I understand, I understand, but I'm leaning, he goes, I'm really leaning towards my Italian stallion standing right here in front of me. That was the first time after five months that he ever gave me an indication. And he hangs up the phone, he goes, look, he goes, you've got to meet with my partner. Now, I always heard of Ben Franklin. Um, I mean, not I, we all heard of Ben Franklin, but this Ben Franklin. And um, all I ever heard about him was, you know how people say, what kind of person is he? Oh, he's, a, he's a good guy, or he's a this, or he's that. Ben Franklin's description, he's a mean son of a bitch. <laughs> that, was, that was Ben Franklin. <laughs> so anyway, month later, I'm in an office and Fred is sitting behind the desk. Ben is sitting about 10 feet away and Ben was 80 years old. He starts asking me all these questions. Are you married? Uh, no, sir. Don't you believe in marriage? I go, yeah, I do, sir. I just haven't met the person I want to marry. Do you drink? And then Fred would, would pitch in, ah, I checked on that. This boy may have one beer a year. <laughs> you know? so, so these questions like this kept going on. And I realized they were going to go on forever. So I took my chair. Remember, I was about 10 feet away. I moved him so I was 10 inches away. I was so far inside his comfort zone. <laughs> he was going like this. And he goes, how much rent will you pay? I said, I'll pay the same amount of rent today as I told you I'd pay six months ago when I first came here. And they talked and they said, okay, you can have it. So that was after six months. And then I started, being a, but here's the funny part. Because of the relationship that I built with B, um, while I was there one day, two, two health club companies, including New Horizons, called about the space within 10 minutes while I was in there. And here was B's response. I don't know if any health club is going to go in there yet. But if anyone does, it's going to be the Gainesville Health and Fitness Center. Thank you for calling. Hang <laughs> <Take> up. <laughs> I mean, this is how it went. And then, uh, then at the end of six months, I put everything together and started building it. And it took about probably about 12 months to build. And then we transitioned from the other location to the new location. And, you know, I was there for a number of years. Mr. Cohn, who I, who I, he reminded my grandfather then, I mean, he, I just, I just love the guy, but he ended up dying. Uh, ben, the other owner, he ended up giving it to his business, his sons. And there, it wasn't the same as when I dealt with the fathers, because like Mr. Cohn said to me one day, he goes, son, he goes, I deal in a handshake. And I said, sir, I do too. And so that's how it was. When the sons came in, some other things kind of popped up that I didn't like. And I said, you know, I've got, a, I got two things that have control over me. I said, you got the government, which there's not much you can do about that. I, over time, I realized there are some things you can do about it. But you, you have the government and you have a landlord. And I said, I can get rid of the landlord part. 
So I started driving up and down University Avenue and I saw this big patch of land. And I, I asked people, who owns that place? So they, they told me and they said, he'll never sell it to you. But I called him up and I went and saw, his name was Jack, great guy. He was 75 years old or so then. And, and um, I went, I said, do you think I could sit down with you? I went to see him every day for 14 days. We just sat down and talked because I know the most important thing is the person has to trust you, right? And the only way you can build trust is over time. You don't get trust. Some of them would think uh, he just was a phony for a day, but you can't be a phony 14 days in a row for hours. Right? And um, at the end of 14 days, I said, Jack, I said, I'd like to make an offer, you know, on your property. And um, I made the offer. And he goes, well, Joe, he goes, uh, I, I just can't do it. You know, I just, and this is what he told everybody. You know, I just, I just can't do it. So I said, well, Jack, I said, I understand that. I said, but I just want to tell you how great it was getting to know you. I said, I know that two weeks ago, I didn't know you at all. I said, but over the last two weeks, I realized you're a great guy. And I just want to say thank you for the time. And I hung up the phone. I just sat in front of the phone saying, please call back. Please call back. <laughs> and 10 minutes later, he called me back and he said, Joe, I think we can do it. And that's when we started building our big facility. And um, so that's kind of how those things went. So, but like I said, I didn't look at it as something like, oh no, woe is me. It was like, no, I'll just, I don't even think, I'm not even quite sure how I looked at it, except no, I got to go sit down and talk with him. And then no, I got to go back. And no, I got to go back and talk and talk some more. And, and he, he's got to know that he can trust me, that when I give him my word, it's my word. And uh, because he said the same thing Fred said, because you know, son, I deal on a handshake. And I said, I do too. You know, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I don't have to sign a piece of paper, you know, to do it. And um, so when you ask for any challenges or whatever, I guess you could say those were challenges, but to me, they were just the things you had to do to keep moving, keep moving forward. How did you get the money to pay for all this? Did you have the money or did you have to borrow it? Um, well, I borrowed some on buying the land and I, I got a mortgage, you know, on the, on the building. Um, but I, I kind of proved to all the bankers that we were financially strong. Cause I always, I always save money. Always. Um, I'll tell you another little tiny book, this big, called The Richest Man in Babylon. I read the book and um, I realized the most important thing you got to do is when you get paid, the first thing you got to do is pay yourself, not pay everybody else, pay yourself. So I've always set up the habit of as soon as I got any money, boom, I always saved 10% of it in the beginning. Even, you know, over, over the years, I got my father to retire and move to Gainesville from upstate New York and go to work for me. My father worked for me for 30 years. Oh, wow. And um, I remember I said, you know, Dad, they say that like Americans, if they save money, save about 10%. They said Asians save about 30%. Am I American or Asian? He goes, you're definitely Asian. <laughs> so, so I've always saved so that I was always in a strong position. It was just like with the pandemic. I wasn't nervous at all when all that stuff happened because I prepared. I prepared my whole life. I prepared for it. 
So financially, we had we had no issues. I was able to keep paying the whole staff, even during the months that we were uh, closed. So, um, you know, just been fortunate all the way all the way around. I think the Jews saved like seventy five percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, have, I haven't so become just, Jewish yet. Then I, but we're good. Are you, are you Jewish now? <laughs> I'm still an Italian Asian. <laughs> so just gotta give give the audience some perspective. How big is your facility in Gainesville? The my biggest one, the inside structure is uh, eighty thousand uh, square feet. Um, but this past year, I built a uh, outdoor facility that's elevated over a retention pond, which is another story, uh, which is 6,000 square feet. I have um, uh, another center that has 25,000 enclosed and 4,000 on the outside, on exterior. And um, we're planning on expanding that one. But when everything hit, the price of construction has gone up so much, I got to wait for it to kind of work its way down to do that major, major project on it. Cause that's the only place that I rent my 80,000 square feet, square foot facility I own. And, um, and I also have a smaller women's center. It's about 14,000 square feet that I actually opened back in 1984, but it's still completely modern, completely, completely renovated uh, three years ago. And, um, and then I have the, the rehab center is located within the 25,000 square foot and the 80,000 square foot club. And then the boutique facilities are just right around 3,000, you know, square feet. And how many members do you have? Well, when the, when the, before the pandemic, we were right about, uh, we were at a little over 28,000. Uh, during the pandemic, we had about 6,000 members canceled. Now, typically, your, every health club has people who cancel for one reason or another, but you can have sales to make up, you know, for those for those losses. But obviously, we had to go months without being able to replace them. So we lost about six thousand, and now we're we're approaching back to twenty five thousand. So it's grow it's growing. I mean, we've been growing every month for a year now, and it's just a matter of time before we get back up there. Going on what you said about the. Uh... The Babylon book, paying yourself first. Yeah. How much, how did you determine how much to pay yourself when well, running your business? In the beginning, I took 10, well, I, in the beginning, I took 10%. I mean, over time, we would just calculate, you know, what do we need for this, this, and this, that would leave us this, this is how much we're going to, how much we're going to save. I mean, we, we save a good amount of money every single month now. And uh, that's allowed me, I mean, we did, uh, I, it's another story, but I read a book called The New Rules of Retail in 2011, and it talked about all the challenges that department stores were having with all the little boutiques, you know, the Lululemons and all these stores that the women were leaving the big stores and going to these smaller stores. And so we decided, well, I looked at it and I, I said, you know, health clubs are going to be impacted by the boutiques the same way. And I said, the secret is build the boutiques inside of the center. And so I have a great architect. He's the best in our industry. His name is Rudy Fabiano. And he, he uh, lives right outside of New York City. And I called him and, and even though he's the best in the world in health clubs, he doesn't have a big ego at all. And uh, so I called him, I told him about the book. 
And uh, as I, I'm going through it, he, as I'm going through it, something goes, that's very intriguing to me. And I said, Rudy, I think it'll change the way you design health clubs in the future. And so I said, why don't you go get the book and read it so we can literally be talking from the same page. And um, I said, in the meantime, do me a big favor. He goes, what? I said, go into New York City, go to the newest Bloomingdale's. I said, walk around it and look at it, not like it's a department store. Look at it like it's a health club and tell me, and tell me what you see. So he did. He goes, very, very interesting when he took that whole different perspective on it. And um, so we started putting our plans together for how we would do it. I had to do a 12,000 square foot expansion over a retention pond. Um, so I had to get the approval and all for that. And I, and I did. And um, so we built that. And from the beginning of that expansion in 2012, then we started working back through the entire health club and remodeled every section of the club. So I finished at the end of uh, 2018. It altogether spent $11 million. But the great thing was I didn't have to borrow any money. We were able to do it out of cash flow. So by the time we were done, there was no debt or anything, you know, that was on it. Because like I said in the beginning, I only care about how do we make it the best. I don't worry about, you know, a lot of people say, well, how are you, how are you going to make money on that? I said, I don't know. I said, but I figure if I make it better, more people will want to come in. And uh, it's always, you know, for me, it's always worked out, you know, that, that way. Yeah. Living, living in Gainesville, Florida, who have you met some interesting people? You, you've been dropping some names like Fabiano and all sorts of things. So it seems like you probably met some cool people coming through Listen, Gainesville, Florida. Well, I mean, coming through. Yeah. I mean, there were, I mean, obviously a lot of people come through Gainesville for one reason or, or another, you know, I remember even the beginning of my health club, uh, some, some big names came through. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield came to my, if you remember the name Rodney Dangerfield, the comedian, um, he came to my club and we just sat down and talked to us. I mean, he's like talking to the guy next door. He's probably the funniest person you'll ever listen to next to Robin Williams. And, um, but there have been a lot of actors, actresses that have come in over the, over the years. But what I found is they're all really nice. They're really nice people. But those aren't the people that really made the impact on me. I mean, I've had people, look at, I started as an instructor, right? I still have members who were with me when I started as an instructor at Steve Spurrier. There were members with me so long, there have been members that I've been with them the day they died and sat down. One, <laughs> one, one, one interesting story, I get a, a phone call, a message, hey, Joe, um, you know, so-and-so called and he just said he'll be uh, dying today and he just wanted to say thanks for everything. I thought, what? So I called him. I said, I got this message. He goes, yeah, I'll be dying tonight. And I said, who are you with? He goes, my lawyer. I go, is there anybody else? He goes, well, my daughter's here. I said, let me talk to your daughter. And uh, so she gets on the phone. She goes, yeah, he'll die today. And uh, so I said, do you mind if I come over? I went over. I sat next to him on the bed. He held my hand for three hours. And we just talked. And uh, there was a picture of his wife at the end of his bed. He goes, I'll be with her tonight. So I, I left. I went over there at one o'clock. I left at four o'clock. The daughter called me at five o'clock and he had died. 
but other members. I mean, I've been with other members. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, you, you know, you think they're going to die and you wonder what goes through their head. And I mean, he just talked about, I'll be with her. And another member I was with from when I was 19 years old, uh, and name was Latham Davis. And uh, I was with him the day he died. And when I left, um, when I left where he was at, I mean, I kissed him on the cheek and I said, you know, it's great to know you, Latham. He goes, well, Joe, he goes, you think the Gators are going to be okay? <laughs> so, so you never know. But um, yeah, I mean, I've been through it with them. So those are the people that, that make a difference. Not the movie stars are they, the other ones that's temporary, but the friendships that you build, um, you know, last your whole life. Yeah, that's inspiring. I mean, how long have you been in business since the... Well, let's put it this way. I started in the business 48 years ago. Yeah. So my business my business is, what, 40, 44 years since I started Gainesville Independent Center. 43. I mean, most businesses aren't able to come that long, let's be honest. You know, there's not, there, there's not a lot of 100 or 50 or 125-year-old businesses. Yeah, well, you know, I had three employees, you know, when I first started. One of them is still with me. And uh, one of them, she, she actually, she died. And um, another one is still a close friend of mine. He still lives in Gainesville. And uh, so, but I, I have many employees that have been with me 30 and 40 years. So, I mean, it's, it goes beyond you just work together. I mean, you, you're there for everybody. Right. If anything happens in anybody's family, everybody's there, you know, for them. So it becomes. How do you? How do you so do you, do you guys offer like a four hundred one k? Do you help take care of your employees that way, or? No, we don't have it. We never found one that made that made sense. You know, yeah. pay them well and just take care of them. And, yeah. You know, if there's ever an issue where they need more help, I'll help them. Yeah. They all, they all work hard. They all work hard. It doesn't matter how, it's not like they work with me and they've been with me a long time and they can kind of coast. Nobody coasts in my business. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, I'm fortunate, you know, all the way, all the way around. Do you still attend like sales meetings every day or are, are you kind of like stepping out? Of no, no, I have a Monday morning. I have a meeting with all the leaders in the company. Mm-hmm. We've been doing that. I've been doing that forever. I mean, 30 years every Monday people say um how, how do you have stuff to keep talking about every Monday you know but we still books we still meet for like three hours we go through everything yeah. and the main the main reason I do that is I want to make sure we're all on the same page that nobody's going off on a tangent we keep us all focused on uh, on uh, what's important I don't run the sales meeting but I go to all of the uh, sales meetings you know um, I take new employees uh, at least two times a month, uh, we take uh, five employees to lunch just so we can learn more about them. Because I, l- I let them know that I don't think of you as just this worker bee. I know you're a human being <laughs> and you got feelings and you got dreams and you got families and everything else. So we sit down at lunch for an hour and a half and just let them talk. And we just said, tell me more about that. You know, well, what about your family? What about this? What about that? So we do that regularly. I mean, I take... It could be anywhere, like last night, there was about nine, um, but I take anywhere from nine to 25 employees to dinner every month. Wow. 
and we sit around the table and everybody just has a great time. And it's like, they're called Eagle dinners because of the comments that they get from members that are above and beyond. It's a program I started in 1996 and has nice. been every single month since 1996. And um, so some of the people will stand up and read the comments made about each individual person from the members, but they may have 15 things written about them, right? But we're bringing up the one that's the reason why they're there. And then we just say, look, the most important thing now is to make sure you call all those members and say thank you for them writing. I said, because a lot of times people will write a comment they see as an ego comment, but to us, it's just the person doing their job, all right? So what we look for is like exceptional, exceptional stuff. And that's all we did. We clapped for him. But like one, one of the guys who was there last night, he goes, you know, this is so cool. He goes, because I really just see everybody at work and I don't know anything about them other than their work. It's so great to hear people talk and have these conversations and um, everything. A lot of people don't realize the word company stands for to break bread together. So I figured we'll break bread together and we'll talk. And it just kind of lowers, lowers everybody's defenses. So they know they can talk to me. There's, you know, no issues that they never have to be afraid, you know, of me. But then we also have another, another dinner and we'll have anywhere from 35 to 70 people come twice a year. And we call them the rock all-stars. And uh, we, we usually have it at my house and I have a gator catered and um, gator. catered, yeah, catered. Um, but uh, anyway, it's a great event because the, the, it's not because of comments by the members that they're there it's because of their supervisor, their immediate supervisor talking about something exceptional that they do as a person in their department. And those are called the rock all-stars. There's a whole other story behind that. So um, anyway, so we do it all the time to be able to, to be how connected. Many people, how many people work for you? Right now we have, a, well, between the two, we have about 440. Nice. Health club has about 400. The rehab center has about 40. Yeah. Wow. How, how much is the 75 person dinner? How much what? How much is the 75 person dinner? I, I do not understand. What for dinner? How much does the 75 person dinner run? Like, oh, you mean how much does it cost? Yeah. I don't know. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Here's the credit card. I don't know. Well, I mean, I bring in the caterers, whatever, whatever it is, what it is. So I, I don't even ask. I mean, my CFO pays the bill and whatever it is, what it is. Yeah. Nice. Well, Joe, this was awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Oh, you're very um, What do you got going on the rest of today in the Saroi world? Well, this, I, I'm still in this meeting that I'm at. So I'm going back to the meeting. And this meeting goes on till uh, four o'clock. Wow. Um, I, you know what? You know, I've been a, one of the things on my list was to become a pilot on my own airplane. I, I've been flying for 34 years. And um, my airplane's been in the, down in Tampa because every year you have to have what's called an annual where they check everything out on your airplane. And, and um, they've had it for three and a half weeks. And I just went back down to Tampa and flew it out of there um, after they finished everything. So I could leave tonight to go down to Sarasota because that's where I usually go on the weekend. But I'm going to 
I'm going to go to work in the morning, do some things, and then then head on down to Sarasota. So, oh, are you in Tampa right now? No, I'm in game. I flew. I uh, uh, my CFO drove me down to Tampa yesterday, and and then I flew the plane out of there. After okay. uh, do you yeah. ever get tired of flying? Do you have somebody fly you, or is that? No, I am. I'm a pilot. No, no, I've been. I loved. I've been flying for all those years, and I still love every time I get in the airplane and go fly. I mean, I see some of the most beautiful sunsets you could ever imagine. So, no, no, I still love flying. Yeah. What uh, Josh likes to ask if you have any jokes. <laughs> yeah, but I can't tell him to you. <laughs> any, any clean jokes? No, I don't, can't remember. I'd really have to dig deep to find some clean jokes. Um, but I remember I found a bunch of dirty ones and my father years ago had, had a stroke. And, um, when he was in the hospital a bed, I sat down, I would read these jokes to him. It was so great to see my father start laughing like hell. Nice. So we'll leave, we'll leave, we'll, we'll leave those. <laughs> we'll leave. Later. What about, uh, what are you reading right now? Are you reading a book right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm reading, uh, uh, leader shift and, um, out the petition, uh, John, what's his name there? The big guy. Maxwell? John Maxwell, yeah. Okay. And the other one, I'm not sure who the author was. It's not in English. Uh, I mean, the book's in English, but the author's name isn't. Um, it's called Outthink the Competition. So one of the things that I try to do um, every year, and I, I'm 99% successful at it, but uh, I took off for two weeks in January, went down to Sarasota and I brought books to read. I brought magazines to read. I just wanted to spend the entire time thinking about what's next because I always have to think about what's next. Mm -hmm. And um, I, 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 I came back and I have a bunch of projects that are what next, but, but um, nothing big yet, but something will, I'll, I will figure, I will figure it out. It's just like I was telling you about the outdoor pavilion. It's like for a year with all this stuff with uh, COVID and everybody's talking about outdoor training and all. Well, here's, here's what's next, right? Like get, you gotta get the VR goggles in there. Yeah. And, yeah. And train with, and we had a uh, Dave Meltzer on, I think Josh, was it? He said you train in a stadium and everybody's cheering for you in the VR goggles or something like that. I mean, that would be awesome. Like, yeah, you know. some of the things I, you know, when these kind of things start, I, I can monitor it because it's not like, and see what's happening with it, because it's not like I have to be the first in the industry to do it. I mean, there's some things we can first, but it's not like my main goal. We have to be first in the industry. I just have to be the first in my town. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm tracking. Well, you're the only in the town, right? <laughs> no, no, there's a lot. We have, we have crunch. We have um, yeah. fitness. We have UFIT. We have the university. We, you know, we got a bunch it of. It kind of reminds me of I, I worked at a video store when I was, uh, I don't know, in high school or something like that. You remember your ages. I need to like catch up on my age, like exactly what, probably 16, right? And it was all uh, cassettes. What do they call uh, videos? Video? Oh, the VH? VHS, right? And then there was a little section of DVDs. Maybe, maybe you do like a little section of VR goggles. Right, 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 right. And, and then slowly the DVDs started taking over. You know, we actually years ago we tested it out. We're all out of business. <laughs> yeah, I say years ago we tested out. We couldn't really make it work, but I know that they've advanced. You know, a lot too. And there's and there's a lot too. When I was uh, 
in, in Sarasota trying to think through the next thing, one of the things that you realize is you have to watch and see what's happening, especially with the younger generation. You know, it's like this, this one guy said, yeah, I, I, I'm looking around my neighborhood and I see all these kids running around these little sneak, sneak, new sneakers and they were called like Nike or something, you know? <laughs> he, yeah. goes, he goes, yeah, once I, years went by and I realized I should have been paying more attention for Nike. And uh, so, you know, you just have to, you just have to keep your eyes, your eyes open. What, is, what do you think is next? What do you see? Well, right now, I mean, a big part of the industry is um, huge part issues that people are having is with mental health, with stress, with all these other things. So we built a area out in our center. It's called CHILL, C-H-I-L-L. And um, we, we have all the hydro massage tables, a beautiful environment, you know, that we have in there. So one of the things that I'm looking at is what, what is the next thing? What are some of those things out there that we can offer as part of, a, as, for part of that experience? So that's still learning. I'm still trying to figure out what those things are. I mean, I look at a bunch of things, but nothing has just grabbed my attention and said, yeah, that's it. So, um, you know, we'll keep searching out there. You know, the, the outdoor training area that we built in is really beautiful. It's got roofs, Wi-Fi, lighting, everything. So is it like Venice Beach, like you're training outside? Like well, we, it's not, it's not I, I don't have all the heavy weights out there. We have a lot of the functional training as well as group exercise classes outside. And the reason why is I built it up over a retention pond. So it's about five feet in the air over the retention so no water can ever get on it and um and so i can't have them dropping heavy weights you know on it even though we got thick flooring and all i don't want it to go through right. and end up in the retention pond so what we're but we're figuring those things out now which means we we're putting together plans for offering classes to to younger kids like 10 11 12 year olds that we don't have to have them inside the club, but we can create tra great training programs outside. You know, I'm looking at all the different programs that are successful around the world and saying, okay, how can we adapt? How can we put together our version of that? Because it appears that it's working around the world. So those are the things, you know, that I look at. And, and you know, where I'm also, once again, very fortunate there's inside our industry, there's a group called the Rex Roundtables. And there are groups of anywhere 12 to 15 health club owners, or there's other groups that are for managers. And there's other groups that are for marketing directors. But they, these groups meet all over the world. And as these groups form in Europe, I'm, they always ask me to come over for the initial group to help them get, to get started. So I get to meet health club owners from not only America, but from all over the world. And um, so you get to learn, you know, from them, what kind of things are you, are you working on? And when you start talking to them, especially in these, you hear some of the coolest things. I mean, I'll tell you one, I know you, you've got to probably end this, but um, I, I, I was in Italy and, um, you know, Simon Sinek, if you listen to Start With Why. Well, Simon, he, who I've gotten to be friends with, nice. um, he uh, he had it dubbed in Italian. So, I mean, it was with the subtitles. So for this first group, I showed it to them. I said, I want you to listen to this. So they, they watched the whole thing. And I said, now I want to go around the room and I want to find out why do you do what 
you do. One guy said, I don't really like what I do. He went through everything. I said, okay. And we went on the next. Later on, that guy sat down with me in tears and telling me why. Because how, how the partners in the business are destroying it. But there was this one kid, his name was Johnny. And Johnny was a smaller guy. And um, I said, Johnny, why do you do it? He goes, well, he goes, when I was growing up, I was always smaller than everybody else. And I knew that I was never going to win anybody over because of my physical prowess. So I decided to become the best in the world at something. He says, so I became the world kickboxing champion. He goes, and I opened up my centers so I can take young kids and make them understand what they're capable of. So it's those kind of things that you hear from people everywhere that keep everybody inspired, you know, and keep us all working hard, looking for ways to be able to help people. So anyway. Joe, I feel like we could have you on here for hours. It's like, we didn't even get to like any of our questions. <laughs> Maybe some but, other time we can do your I question. Mean, if, if people haven't gotten the gist of how to never go broke again through this, I think that was such high level information, Joe. That was great. Um, so we appreciate it. Josh, you have anything else you want to bring up? or? No, Joe, thanks for coming on. Lastly, one final thing. What do you want people to say about you when everything's said and done? Probably the most important thing is inside the business that I helped. I helped everybody build their passion for what they do and to become better leaders because of spending time inside our company. And um, that's probably the most beneficial thing is people who've, who've you know, moved on from our organization, who became very successful. And it's just like I had an ex uh, yesterday, a kid who became very successful down in Miami. And um, he wanted to meet with me and he said, I just wanna tell you that I, I just wanna thank you for everything I learned while I was here because I've applied it over my whole life and it's helped me build a great family and a great business. And, um, and become successful in things that he's doing. So those are probably the, uh, the most important things. That has definitely happened. Uh, and, uh, you know, just to toot your horn a little bit, I, I was a member there a while back, years and years ago. I, 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 and I heard Travolta used to work out there. I'm sure you heard about that, if that's even true. I don't know if that was a rumor. Yeah, he would come in. I, I got to meet John. He's very yeah. good. Did he even come, like, I heard he came in at like 3 a.m. or something like that. Was he that would. Yes. <laughs> it's so weird. I, I heard it and I was like, I never seen. And then I actually walked right into Tebow, like right yeah. into him one time. Like, in the, I was like, oh, yeah. This guy's brick wall, man. And he, he drove a scooter. I was like, yeah. what is this? It's his Heisman year. Those are the years I lived there. What is this Heisman trophy guy? Heisman uh, Canada doing on the scooter? But yeah, I ran into him there. So yeah, it's it's big, beautiful gym. Uh, it's as good as it gets up to date, modern, that everybody's working out there. It's, it's the best place in town. So. Not yet. Not yet. We're still working. We're still working. Well, ne never better. Ne ne but uh, yeah, and, and you've done a great job and, and uh, you, you put, put forth a lot of nuggets uh, in, in such a nice way uh, to, to make you know, People think, all right, you got to be uh, not nice to get get places sometimes. And all, all these high level, uh, I'm not, you know, what you're doing in Rev, but all these high level, every time I meet these higher level people, they're so nice. Everybody's so nice. And uh, 
I'm like, all right, maybe maybe uh, the movies are wrong or. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you a quick, just kind of quick end to it. When I was a kid, I thought that rich people were jerks. That's mm -hmm. all that I, that's all I thought rich people were jerks until I became an instructor and I used to help all these people work out. Then people would come to me and say, you know, John Mullen, you know, he's a multimillionaire. You know, Dennis, he is a multimillionaire developer. And all of a sudden I'm looking, I'm going, well, this is odd. They're just nice as hell guys. Then I realized what the problem was. The only ones I met were rich were young, the kids who they gave too much to. They were the jerks. The people who worked their ass off, they always stayed. They stayed humble because they knew where they started. The kids didn't. And uh, that's probably the biggest mistake. Um, Dad, I think, what, what's his name? <laughs> The huge basketball player that's always on TV, the commercials. Mad Shaq? Shaq. Do you hear the comment he made? He goes, yeah, no. my, my kids say, we're rich. He goes, uh, no. He goes, I'm rich. You're not rich. You yeah. know? So, so, so they, they never think that they got it because they're rich. They're not rich. I'm rich. You're not rich. Yeah. <laughs> so... All right. Well, I appreciate it, you guys. And if you want to do it sometime in the future to get to get to your questions, we can try that. Uh, try that. <laughs> All right, Joe. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe uh, Josh is a Seminole, but maybe we'll we'll get out to Gainesville one time. Sounds great. You just let me know. When. Yeah, man. All right. All right, Joe. Thanks a lot. Okay. Joe. Joe, pretty confident the way he does business. He's never going broke again. So if you guys decide to mirror that or emulate that. Uh, you're probably never going broke yourself. And if you are, you can call Joe. He's at Gainesville Health and Fitness and, and ask him, why am I broke? But uh, it'll probably be good in my opinion. Yeah, well, thank you guys very much. All right, Joe. All right, thanks, Joe.